The world is weird. Existing is weird. Magic is weird. This is a place for a witch to ramble about her personal experiences, opinions, and what you want to hear. Welcome to Weird Witch Talks. everybody it's been about six months since i uploaded my last podcast episode and i am so sorry to have left y'all waiting for so long i've actually had the following episode in my like drafts for about six months um and i figured i should upload it at all i'm probably not gonna ever finish it so this is an incomplete episode but it's up it's for you it is there to have i am going to try and get back on a more regular upload schedule uh, this year, I'm going to do my best to put out an episode for September, October, um, but we will see how that's going. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you forgive me for life being a little bit hectic right now. Uh, I've been doing summer college classes, and finals were hard, and lots of other things. Life, life does things to us all the time, but here is my episode from March. Please send in questions, and I will do my very best to get on a more active upload schedule. Thank you all of you for your attention, time, and listens. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Weird Witch Talks. This is episode 10. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our last largely non-magical episode. We are returning to the status quo again today. Uh, First, I would like to offer a practical word of advice to all of my witchlings out there. If you are planning to do more than one spell for any given scenario, be sure to carefully research what each spell does before doing them. Spells can fight with each other, so unless you are very good at controlling the where and how and why your magic goes in, maybe stick with just one spell and then wait it out. Uh, A spell meant to ensure good fortune for your friend, done concurrently with, I don't know, a spell to separate her from her shitbag boyfriend, might clash and result in nothing, because breaking up with him might cause short-to-long-term misfortune um, from either him being emotionally or verbally abusive, you know, the reasons you want her to leave him. Um, Even if in the long term this will cause good things to happen, the fortune spell might cancel out the get-them-to-leave spell, because the fortune spell is actively trying to make sure nothing more bad happens. So, I mean, in that scenario, I'd probably pick the nastier spell to do first and then give her the blessing stuff, if necessary. Um, Always consider all options and try your very best to control for external factors. A scientific mind doesn't always go amiss in magic. Consider every angle. Like, literally write it all down, see what you're doing, and see which components might fuck with each other. Treat it like an experiment, because it kind of is. That was not a practical example, by the way, any people who I know listening from somewhere. (laughs) That was the best example I could find that didn't have to involve any personal stories. (laughs) Alright, now that that's out of the way, uh, we have a couple of listener comments um, and a question from Tumblr user MyMoonlitWitchcraft. So, MyMoonlitWitchcraft asks, Saw a post that defines the words jinx, hex, and curse by severity, and was wondering if you knew anything about these words' origins and their traditional meanings, or had any references to them. Thanks so much for asking. Boy, howdy, do I ever. (laughs) So, uh, I'm going to take these words in order by definition and etymology, uh, and then follow them up with my opinion at the end. Even though my opinion is definitely going to creep in here or there, I'm terrible at keeping my opinion out of things. That's why y'all are listening. 
Uh, so first, the word jinx, uh, J-I-N-X, comes from the Latin word J-Y-N-X, which is a name for a bird currently known as the Eurasian Rhinek. Uh, this particular bird has some real, like, strange behaviors that got it its name. Um, Rhinek, which kind of refers to this thing it does where it will twist its head around like kind of backwards and hiss like a snake. Very disturbing. Uh, and turns out uh, these really kind of creepy things that it does led it to be associated with witchcraft and bad luck. Um, and the bird is also used as part of this really macabre uh, love spell to like bring back a straying lover where you kill it and you take a piece of string and tie it around its neck and whip it around real quick, which I would not, um, recommend doing. I don't know if this bird is, uh, protected by anything, but I still wouldn't recommend doing it, because if anyone saw you doing that, they'd probably record, report it back to the person who you're trying to do that to, and, and I don't think it would help to bring them back. <laughs> you can't do creepy love spells in the woods in privacy anymore. It's travesty. At any rate, um, this word, as far as we can tell, probably reared its head in the English language around the early to mid-1600s, um, and it more meant a magic spell in general or, like, something relating to bad luck or omens. Uh, next, hex. This word is literally the German word for a spell, good or bad. It just... a, he a hex is a spell in German. Uh, and in Germany, witches are called hexen, like it... That's just what the word means. It is, ein Hexe is a witch. Um, ein Hex is a spell. That's it. Um, the modern use of the word hex in English came about primarily because of the Pennsylvania Dutch language. Pennsylvania Dutch people are not Dutch. Um, they are German people because the word in German for a German person is eine Deutschlander. Um, Germans are Deutsch. German is Deutsch. Um, but that got kind of misheard by non-German speakers when the Pennsylvania Dutch moved to the Americas. Um, so the Pennsylvania Dutch are German people <laughs> who moved to America. Um, and that word uh, that we use now for a kind of, to, to mean a bad spell, theoretically, comes from them, just a word they have for magic, and its negative connotations exist because, historically speaking, no one liked witches. It's not a nice thing to be, historically speaking. You'd much rather be a cunning woman than a witch. This is how history works. Uh, and it's worth noting, most lay people, like, genuinely, just if you, if you use the word hex or witch, even on a magic practitioner, would be pissed to be called a witch way back when because of what the word means. It's not like a slur or an insult, it's just not a nice thing to be. Uh, so the word entered the tongue of English via America around 1830, at a best guess. Um, and again, though, then it meant witch. And the first recorded use of hex to mean a magical spell was in around 1909. It's the youngest word here as far as it's like modern usage is concerned. Um... And finally, uh, curse is the only word here with a specific etymology leaning towards the negative. I mean, even I'd even argue that jinx isn't exactly a negative thing, specifically. Um, not at its outset. Uh, it comes from the late Old English word course, C-U-R-S, which has almost no similar word besides maybe an old French word uh, and the Latin word course. Um, 
and course means to pray for evil or hurt to happen to someone or to wish for an unfortunate or evil fate of, for someone. It just means bad stuff. That's all it means. Uh, the oldest uh, attestation of this word is found in the 1400s. This is the oldest word on this list. Um, so what does this mean for your question? I'd argue that a hex is actively doing magic upon someone using witchcraft or magic and requires a bit of active agency. Curses, in my humble opinion, can either require a ritual or not. You can inadvertently curse someone by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong entity listening if you're not careful. Like, you could tell someone to go to hell in a churchyard with the devil listening at midnight, and that kind of shit carries some weight. Like, you have just delivered a curse without meaning to, my friend. Please don't do that. <laughs> um... Yeah, I would say that one is not more powerful than the other. Uh, as for a jinx, less sure. Traditionally speaking, it would feasibly refer to a folk spell or an omen, but I'm not going to lie, I'm fairly sure its current use in the magical community has at least a little bit to do with Harry Potter. I'd say jinxes are more akin to bad omens. A person who is jinxed, for instance, may have seen or heard something they oughtn't to have seen, and now carry that burden, be it bad luck or soda, Jinxes are probably the least immediately concerning of the three, though no less powerful. Uh, in short, the differences between these three is complicated, personal, and separated by centuries of linguistic weirdness. And there is very little historic, like, evidence, magical or otherwise, that a jinx is less powerful than a curse. It all has to do with why you're doing it, what you're doing it for, and honestly, who's doing it. Um, a curse might be complete fucking weak sauce compared to someone being jinxed from watching, I don't know, Artemis bathing naked. Like, that will get you super killed uh, as compared to a 13-year-old um, just saying some gobbledygook to make someone upset. Like, the these don't automatically correlate to something as far as that's going to hex is pretty much just anything magical, uh, especially since that's still a word in German today and it still means the same thing it always has. But yeah, that's how that happens. And if in your practice you use those words to mean some variety of um, severity, great, that works. But no, that's a new system and a new idea. Uh, historically speaking, not a whole lot of credence to that uh, that I have found. Uh, if you know something that I don't, please let me know, somebody. Um, however, I do say, as per usual, without historical background, I'm gonna assume it's bullshit. So if you have, like, a document from 1860s, 1850s, or some historical paper uh, that contradicts what I've said here, please give it to me. I am always open to new research and will happily correct myself if I get something wrong. Uh, you will find out about it next episode if it does. Sorry, you have to wait a month. I don't... I'm doing this for free. I can do it as often as I want. So, uh, thank you for your question. I hope I've answered it well. Uh, and also, thank you Audubon.com, the online etymological dictionary, and the Oxford English Dictionary for providing a lot of necessary information for that. That was, that was just research. That was fun. Alright, uh, next up, uh, less of a question and more of a compliment from an anonymous asker on Tumblr. Hello, Nani. By the way, if you're anonymous, I'm going to call you Nani because it's cute and fun. So this is what they said. Hey, oh, I'm the Yanan whose ass got eaten. I have crap memory, so I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do know that it involved your podcast episode about small gods, which I love, by the way. Thank you so much. 
Uh, I think it had something to do with my own city, uh, which I'm I'm not going to read out loud. It's in Georgia and it's very haunted. But just in case you don't want me revealing your location, I'm not going to. Uh, and how you inspired me to find the small gods of that area. And you also inspired me to look more into the death side of my own practice. So thanks for that. And I love your podcast. Thank you so much. And I love that you listen. I hope you appreciate uh, what I'm going to say next. I promise it won't be mean. So um, I'm absolutely ecstatic to hear that my humble little podcast inspired you to go searching through your own backyard for the small gods that live there. Uh, I'm really glad to have you talking about that episode, actually, uh, because I've seen some issues lately online and in real life with people being a little desperate to lump each and every small god into whatever large god they think they're most familiar with who might possibly be involved in the place where the small god was. Like, it's kind of like Christians seeing any kind of small god and saying, oh, that's the work of Christ. I would argue, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not too jazzed about this for personal reasons, um, and I won't shame people for being soft polytheists, but I will give my take on it. Um, this is kind of like someone deciding you're definitely closely related to a person you've never fucking met. Uh, or even worse, uh, insisting that you are the person who you very much are not because, like, you share the same shirt, eye color, and preference for, like, one white snake song. That's kind of how it feels to me when people go places, meet small gods, and go, Oh, that must be Canonas. That's who this is in the middle of fucking Texas. This is definitely who that is. I think of, there's a few issues with that. Um, primary one being it completely overlooks the fact that indigenous gods fucking exist. And um, wanting your god to exist in the Americas is all well and good, but don't assume that they are living in the place. Like, I'm, I know several Canonas worshippers, and he is definitely here wandering and meeting people, but I wouldn't say he's the god of the Brazos or any sacred hills or mounds here in Texas specifically. Um, mostly because the indigenous folk have gods already, and it's extremely ethnocentric to presume that your gods are actually their gods this whole time. Um, that's a problem. Um, especially if you're a white people. If you're a white people, just don't do that shit. Um, I'm not going to speak for any indigenous folks who have found kinship in non-indigenous gods and found, like, literal, you know, overlap there. That is your business. But if you're a white people, like I am a white people, please don't assume that. I don't... If you say the corn mother... If I hear one more person say the corn mother is the goddess of Gerald Gardner, I will fucking spit on them. I hate that shit so much. Like, no. White guy Gerald was not channeling an indigenous goddess. I think she's Algonquin, actually. Hang on, I'm gonna go double check that so I, I don't so I do not do a racist. Give me a second here. I remembered it correctly. Uh, the first mother, or the corn mother, uh, is a Penobscoti or Abenaki um, goddess figure. Um... She's also called the first mother, the corn mother, or the corn woman, and the Ab the Penobscot, the Penobscot. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, is have an Algonquin language, so I got that right. See, guys, and this is from native-languages.org, um, which I believe is maintained by some reputable people based on the links that they have and their recommendation by my professor last semester. So that's a thing. Um, 
this is, by the way, Adon, I'm not yelling at you. Uh, this is, you've just been, like, the vehicle by which I, uh, express this frustration. Thank you, Anonymous. Um, but, yeah, small gods are there. It's not fair to them to assume that they are not there and that they are secretly some tentacle part of the whole octopus of the religion you were assuming exists. Um, and it'd do you well to pay attention to them. Again, not directed at you, Nani. Not in the least. You've just provided me a vehicle to rant. Thank you so much for giving me that. Thank you for listening. I hope that this helps you. Um, and the general you, not specifically this anonymous. I hope this helps, generally speaking, people who listen be more aware with their spiritual outreach and be more sensitive and careful when it comes to you know, the things what is. All right, uh, next question from Tumblr user Mixed Bag of Holding. Uh, glad to see the podcast continuing. Am enjoying the folklore. Would Bloody Mary count as a small god bound to bathroom mirrors? Can a small god locale be an abstract setting like all mirrors? And her worshiper is the pan-western cult of spook-seeking teens? This question is actually a real tricky one and is going to be entirely personal analysis and opinion. Um, personally, I would say no, because one huge aspect of small gods, and why I call them genus loci in my episode about this, um, which literally means spirit of a place, uh, is they are typically bound to a family, a genetic line, uh, a location, or a specific item, like a personal statue or something like that, or an urn, not like the nebulous idea of a thing. Um, we're getting into personal religious and academic semantics, by the way, so there will be others who disagree who are just as right as I am and just as wrong as I am. This is, we've wandered into the realm of academic argument, so I'm going to try and keep this a little bit shorter because this is, this is a capital T topic. Um, so Bloody Mary moves into this odd and nebulous realm of spirit, not spirit, God, not God, um, that the, like, hook-handed man of myth lives in, like, there's no actual, technically there is an actual place where the man with a hook for a hand comes from, and that's, uh, from the town that feared sundown, uh, which is a town in Texas, uh, where a guy actually, I think it's the Lover's Lane murders, um, actual thing that happened, but, like, he's not part of that, like, you don't hear the fucking man-car hook door pant thing and think of, um, the town that figured sundown, which is the movie about the, um, the, uh, Lover's Lane murders that I would definitely recommend watching, though I don't think he had a hook for a hand even. I'm not sure where that comes from, but it's essentially the same thing. That's kind of what got that ball rolling hugely. It was an actual series of serial killings. Uh, it's a really gory movie. I would still recommend watching it because it's a, one, it's a classic horror movie, and two, it's fun sometimes to learn about horrible things that happened. Um, and this also is a place where, say, the Mara of German folklore lives, which is a, a monster that sits on your chest and crushes it and causes night terrors. Um, and these kinds of things aren't really gods. They actually exist as part of fear, as like these kind of things that exist on terror. And there aren't a lot of gods that do that. Maybe... There's a, there's a very small few of, like, really concerning, concerning is not the right word, really terrifying, which I mean both in the fact that they are terrific and invoke terror, um, like, death gods, but they aren't very common, um, and 
there these guys don't quite fit that bill. Um, like if you want to have a good example, um, the Morgan from Irish folklore is real weird sound happening in my house. Sorry. Okay, no idea what that was. Just heard some beeping and some weird clattering and slapping sounds. It's fine. This is surely fine. I'm, I'm gonna fucking die. Alright, gonna keep up with the podcast. Uh, where the hell was I? Um, right, the Morgan is a good example of this, um, feasibly, because she is this big, genuinely scary, like, battle hag, nightmare, death, war thing, but she doesn't just show up to scare you or murder you, she is actually a god of stuff, um, and I wouldn't really put Mary in that same category, um, that creature whose name I'm not gonna say again, because every time I do that, something weird happens, so yay, witch problems, um, this, this Mary figure is, for lack of a better word, a, a monster summonable through mirrors, <laughs> um, some cultures would use the word demon, some of them would use spirit or devil, any number of names. Um, but because her presence is neither tied to a place, nor is she summonable for any other purpose beyond, like, fear or maiming of one's own person, I'd argue she doesn't fall into the subcategory of God. Um, but that's just a personal thing. I mean, she is... She exists as part of a general cultural fear of certain kinds of things. Um, and the reason small gods tend to be small gods is it's... The word god here is often interchanged with spirit, and for a variety of reasons I tend to prefer to call those small gods just because of what I think of as spirit. Bear in mind this is partially semantics and you could use whatever word you want. The way I use that term, this does not fall into it. Um, yeah, no, my microwave is making noises. That's fine and great. Uh, anyway, our, we have a ghost that fucks with the microwave. I don't know if it's Eric getting a snack or if it's just, like, the ghost is back. I don't know. I don't know anymore. <sighs> well, thank you for your question, and thank you, things that live in my house, either corporeally or non, for making yourself known. <laughs> Enjoy my microwave? <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so a Tumblr user who contacted me in a more private setting, um, which means I will be addressing them without mentioning any usernames, if you want to do that, either... If you want me to not mention your username in the podcast, either um, say so in your message, or don't use my Tumblr inbox. Emails are also fine. Um, but if you message me through the Tumblr inbox, I will be saying your username. Here's a heads up for anyone who doesn't want that associated, that question associated with them. Um, there are other methods by which I can be contacted. Uh, so this is, um, th this is uh, a, a request uh, that they said uh, that I give some advice for how to begin your practice and where to start. Um, because this is such a huge topic, I'm gonna break it up between episodes and try and include at least one piece of, like, beginner information relevant to whatever topic I'm addressing. This podcast episode seems to be mostly me answering questions and talking about house spirits. There's less of a theme, but hey, this happens. The more of you start asking questions, the more I can get better cohesive themes. I'm kind of in an in-between place right now. Um, but I'm going to try in every episode or so, try and insert a little piece of like beginner magical practitioner information uh, relevant to whatever I'm talking about 
if need be, just so you can start to piece together something for yourself. Um, this is, so let's consider this the first part of my who knows how many part series within episodes, Beginning Magic, where to start. Um, first off, I have opinions with a capital O about where magic starts and witchcraft, and where like magic ends and witchcraft begins and where they like merge and braid. So let's instead of calling this a beginning witchcraft thing, let's call this a way to get into magic. And where that leads you, and what titles you get come to, um, let, let, let you come to them organically. You may end up a wise person, a wise woman, wise man, or a cunning person, or a magician, a wizard, a sage, or yes, a witch. Uh, and I don't want to limit any future practitioners of anything by telling them what that doing magic is what makes you a witch. Uh, lots of things can make you a witch, but magic isn't the only one of them. And magic can make you a lot of things, too. Don't put yourself in a mold before you see what else the world has to offer. Start out as a person doing magic and see what you become from there. Um, you don't decide you're a lawyer before you go to law school. You start learning the thing and then become a lawyer. Much of the time. I mean, there have been times in history where you could just declare yourself a lawyer, but uh, that doesn't work super well. It's kind of like declaring yourself a doctor in the Old West. You're going to kill a lot of people. <laughs> So let's instead call this beginning magic, not beginning witchcraft, because that's a whole nother kettle of fish. So uh, to begin doing magic, uh, I would recommend first, the first place you should go when you want to decide that you want to study and learn how to do magic, learn how to keep yourself safe. You will want to research and discover methods to keep the unwanted, spiritually and otherwise, out of your fucking house, <laughs> which, yay, the thing in the, they're allowed. Like, the thing that's marching around my house right now, fucking around with my microwave, is either the person who lives with me or something who I've allowed to wander around and fuck with my microwave. Um, so, put salt in doorways. Um, hang witches' ladders where necessary. Witches' ladders are an alternative to dream catchers, because I'm assuming that, that First Nations people, for whom that is a practice, already know about that, and I don't need to tell you about that. But I can say, white people, please fucking don't. Witches' ladders are a good, alterna good alternative to that. Um, you can look up methods by which you can make good witches' ladders on the internet. Um, Brie Landwalker has some very good things about that in her books. Go check them out. Um, you can also uh, figure out where and how you want to hang horseshoes over your doorways. Uh, find plants indigenous to your area. Start with indigenous to your area because you don't want to fuck with the ecosystem as like you want to try and avoid that if you're going to plant it in the ground, uh, and those will tend to stay alive better anyway. And a few non-indigenous plants because, I mean, yeah, there are some things you will feel you need, magically speaking, that don't grow where you live. And I'm not going to tell people to go into the woods and try and find stuff to spellcraft because I don't want to be responsible for any y'all poison yourselves. Um... But find out what you can grow to keep nasty things away. Look up the folklore, um, which you can find through academic texts uh, at your local library. Um, books of stories are very good. Um, and just generally speaking, history books. History, I know it's such a boring history books and books of folk tales are going to be your best friends here because you can find a lot of folk charms in old stories. Um, if you can find even recordings of old people from where you live. Libraries do have these um, for free. Start there. Um, and the internet can be a nebulous place. The reason I recommend starting with books is in part because you can just see if they have a bibliography. And even if the book sounds like bullshit, 
you can see who they source and read who they source and go from there and see who critiques them sometimes a lot faster than you can on the internet. Like, mm, researching online can be kind of a fucking hellhole. Uh, so try books first, I promise. It, it's sometimes easier to argue with a book than with a faceless person on the internet. Um, so, and here's a little thing to also help keep you safe. It's a bit of folk magic for free. If you want a guest to leave and never return, for whatever reason, take your, take your broom. Any broom will do, uh, but I like to use my special broom because it's my broom. Um, and you're going to want to sweep every room the person has walked through and literally sweep their footprints, footsteps, and presence out the door after them. You want to sweep them away. So get comfortable keeping yourself safe. Offer water, milk, wine, unsalted porridge, your house spirits, most things don't like salt, um, and make nice with what lives with you. Uh, apartments have creepy crawlies of the spiritual sort too, and with so many people around who might not be nice to them or even notice them, being the apartment that your local hob likes can really, really pay off in a pinch. Thank you to everyone for listening. The music at the beginning and ending of the podcast is here courtesy of www.purpleplanetmusic.com. Have a question, comment, or concern? Want to ask something for the podcast? Find something I got wrong? Shoot me an email at thehornwitch at gmail.com, message me on Tumblr at thehornwitch.tumblr.com, or follow me on Twitter at thesleepywitch. Like me enough to throw money at me? Do so at www.patreon.com slash thehornwitch. Thanks again for listening, y'all. Bye!